Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. It may have been one of the anonymous writers for Inspiration magazine many years ago who coined the terms. I am not sure, but every so often I am criticized for using the expressions the other to mean the brown biomass that is replacing us in our homelands and the opponent to mean the real enemy, the Jewish power structure, who has planned and executed that replacement. The criticism seems to be based on the ridiculous assertion that I am using euphemisms because I don't want to name the Jew or name the enemy's foot soldiers or something like that. That's pretty rich, really, since if you've followed my writings and broadcasts for more than a week or two, you know that I don't hesitate to explicitly spell out the racial background of non-white and anti-white criminals, especially when that's been hidden by the controlled media. And you also know I don't hesitate to teach the essential truths about racial differences that we must understand and deal with in order to survive. You also know that I never hesitate to identify our primary and deadliest enemy who has slated our race for death. But I like the expressions, the other, and the opponent, and I like to use them at times. It's poetic language, and it not only has a kind of beauty and power, but it also makes clear in just two words a distinction that we all should constantly keep in mind. Yes, I know that in some, even many circumstances, the other becomes an opponent. Very true. But he is not always necessarily so. The other can even be a constructive force if he harms the opponent or hampers the opponent's genocidal agenda. If we as a race would consistently use all our energy and intelligence to look out for our own interests, the other would, in most circumstances, studiously avoid becoming an opponent. Because if we were healthy again as a race, becoming our opponent would be a very dangerous course to take indeed. And I know that the other is not monolithic. Some innately relish the idea of our death. True. And these will have to be dealt with. But even more, I think, relish the idea of our death primarily because incited to do so by the opponent. And if the opponent were defeated would be rendered almost harmless. Yes, I also know that the very presence of the other, even an otherwise harmless other, in our living space is a danger in itself. But that is easily taken care of by racial 
separatism by having our own exclusive living space. And that is what the National Alliance is working toward. And there is no way to achieve that than by defeating the opponent. The other has almost nothing to do with it. And the opponent? What can I say except that singling out the group which has been consistently trying to kill us for 80 years as the opponent, notice the singular, is a valuable educational tool. And this poetic, powerful language also has the value of allowing those listeners who have retained the ability to think in this unthinking age to puzzle over my terms for a moment or two, and thus in their own minds come to the proper conclusions themselves instead of just listening to mine. And of course, as a writer, I know the drawbacks of repeating the same words too often, so the terms are useful for that reason, too. It's similar to how Francis Parker Yaki poetically refers to Hitler, without naming him, as the hero of the Second World War. To someone new to our ideas, that dawning realization of who he's referring to can be pure magic. Or how Revelo Oliver refers to the opponent sometimes as merely the international vermin, or something equally amusing. The mind is pleased, and the neurons are stimulated. I've also been criticized by a couple of letter writers to National Vanguard for not speedily addressing the Hamas revolt in Palestine on American dissident voices. Well, I admit that I have less interest than some people in the current news cycle, and perhaps that is a flaw in some people's eyes. I prefer eternal themes, though I do frame them in terms of current events quite often, just not often enough for some listeners. I admit I am a lot more interested in the philosophical basis for a new society, in great or even seemingly trivial paradoxes that show us the limitations of our knowledge, in the path we might choose for our future evolution, in how we can better understand our origins, or the bedrock methods we can use to separate truth from falsehood, than I am in who is shooting who these days over in Chicago or in the stinking Middle East, or in what the corrupt cops and corrupt prosecutors and corrupt politicians are doing as they deal with the bloody undermen they're supposed to keep fed and happy and more or less under control these days. I suppose that deep in my soul, I have totally given up on the political system, the news media, the justice system, and race relations with browns and blacks 
and with the eternal Jews who force us to live in the same sewer with them. I know that all of it, every single bit of it, has to be trashed and abandoned, and something totally new and something truly great, something eternal, built in its place. And I want to spread an awareness of that fact to those capable of understanding it. But I also realize that there is some truth in the criticism. The National Alliance should be addressing every issue of importance in the public square. The National Alliance should be taking a public position on every major event that has an impact on our people. The National Alliance should be operating a media empire with daily or even hourly radio and television news, print media for every demographic, call-in shows, entertainment programming, fiction series, documentary and dramatic films. But the truth is that I am one person. I and our volunteer team are a small operation. We cannot pay salaries commensurate with what the talented and accomplished people we would need to do all these things deserve and need. I wish we could tempt such excellent folks to leave their system jobs, but our resources aren't large enough to do an adequate job of that. Our small team depends mainly on idealism and not at all on market compensation. We have our hands full putting out a radio show, a printed monthly bulletin, an online magazine, National Vanguard, an online forum, White Biocentrism, and publishing and distributing books and CDs. To say nothing of raising and supporting and educating our families all the while and building a community for white people in eastern Tennessee. No one with the requisite skills has yet stepped forward to be the National Alliance membership coordinator, to take some of the pressure off our chairman so we can do more as an organization. No one with the requisite skills has yet stepped forward to produce more video and radio programming to our standards or to take my place so I can publish more and so I can write the books I want to write before I die. I confess I am not capable of producing all the content we should be producing, nor of pleasing every listener with the choices I make, with the content I do produce. But today, let me give you the satisfaction of spelling out my basic thoughts on the war between the Jews and the Palestinians. A lot of good white racialists I've seen online think we should spend time helping the Palestinian cause, or at least giving it moral support. Another people oppressed by Jews deserves our sympathy, that sort of thing. 
Another faction of good white racialists points out that these largely brown Middle Easterners are themselves invading our living space by the millions and are bringing rape and chaos and race replacement to our homelands and therefore deserve no sympathy whatsoever. One thing is for certain. The Palestinians are showing a lot more bravery and pluck and even organizational skill in fighting to regain their homeland from the Jews than we are. We have to grant them that. That's reality. No matter that, with microscopic exceptions, they are not white. They are fighting. And a certain very wise man once said that only he who is willing to fight for his life deserves it. They should have our admiration for that. And for our part, knowing that we as a race have more intelligence and creativity than they, yet are not doing nearly as much, should serve to shame us a bit and encourage us to search our souls as to what we should and could be doing. If you want an example or two from our own race to inspire you instead, perhaps we may deplore some of the political ideas that inspired Americans and Irishmen to fight the British crown, but their accomplishments as separatists and dissidents against the greatest power then known, are highly inspiring and instructive. No, we should not divert even the smallest scintilla of our wealth or our life energy away from our struggle for a new explicitly white nation. Nor should we give any of it away to the Palestinian cause. But moral support is a different story. We should use every free opportunity to highlight the parallels between the ethnically cleansed Palestinian lands and ethnically cleansed European-founded lands, and to show every otherwise deluded white person and all the non-whites who might be listening to, that the organized Jews are, and they are, the enemy of all peoples and of self-determination itself. If even otherwise insane liberal whites can show up to oppose Jewish power by the tens of thousands, and I assure you that many of the hundreds of thousands of people who recently rallied to protest for Palestine and against Israel in Europe, all across the West, with reportedly a 100,000 in London alone, and even in New York City of all places, were indeed white. We should be encouraged. If Even people who are heavily confused about race and nearly every other issue can at least see that Jews have lied here and lied there, 
can at least see that Jews kill and torture and commit genocide with the worst of them and are doing that right now, are doing exactly what they have accused others, especially the German National Socialists, of doing, that is a major step forward in their thinking and is extremely encouraging. The Jews have set themselves up not for a single front war in Palestine, which would be bad enough for them, but by their malevolent hatred for our race and nations and for nearly all the nations of the Middle East, they have turned the Middle East into a cauldron of death and hate and have then forced the importation of the victims of that cauldron of death into the West, where those victims can tell their stories to millions of our people, and where those victims now have direct access to the citadels of Jewish power. They are even shaking the resolve of many Jews. The Jews have thereby set themselves up for disaster, put themselves into a situation where they have no choice but to face a hundred-front war, a cold war in every Western and many non-Western nations and in every state of the United States, in addition to the increasingly hot war they face in Palestine. Let a thousand fronts bloom, I say. By free words and encouragement, all of them true, let us say yes to the revolt of all the legions who have been harmed, tortured, burned, and oppressed by the Jewish power structure. May the hundred-front Cold War get much warmer. May the victims increasingly understand that racial separatism and self-determination are essential parts of the solution and are not the problem that the Jews say they are. And as all of this beautiful awareness and understanding grows among many peoples, let us in the National Alliance continue assiduously building our own spiritual and racial community that alone embodies the future of beauty, hope, majesty, and greatness that is inherent in our race soul. Everything which saps the power of the opponent makes breaking his power more likely. And everything depends on that.